listening to Right at the Fork, and this is Chris Angeles. This is Portland's Food Scene Podcast, and I honestly want to tell you this was one of my favorite podcasts that we've ever done. And we're in year one, and I think we're on number 30-something, 30 34 so. Um, but this podcast was with Damien Magista of Be Local Honey, and I think his story has so many layers to it. Uh, and I'm really interested to see how it develops from here. But just as a matter of, uh, of a point in history, to hear Damien talk about how he started Be Local, it was very serendipitous, and how he, uh, how he has moved forward with it is fascinating. Um, he grew up in the Northwest and, uh, and found his way to Portland and uh, started just raising some bees. You'll hear about it. You don't need to hear me recap it right now. But I strongly suggest you uh, you listen to it and listen to it on uh, a level of understanding just how much this means to the Portland food scene, how uh, indigenous it is, and what a beautiful story it is. I really enjoyed meeting Damien, and I hope you do too. Hey, Chance, it's seeing you here. I think you're the first one to come in with an iPad. I don't have that. <laughs> I wanted to take some notes so I didn't forget anything, you know? Oh, you're not going to forget anything. I'm <laughs> the one who's going to forget things. All right. Believe me. Um, so you look just refreshed. I know. I, I feel uh, sprightly and uh, uh, bright-eyed and uh, bushy-tailed. Yeah, well, the, just for listeners, I, I saw Damien. Actually, the first time I met him, coincidentally, yesterday out at Wild About Game. Um, and we had a nice conversation. So he... Went to I did not, but he went to the uh, Wildback game after party, which got you. What what time did you say you? I, I went to bed early, so around two uh, thirty, and this was after um, many hours of uh, drinking a variety of alcohol and then sopping it up in my gut at the Huckleberry Inn with the traditional liver and onions. Really? Yes. Okay, so. Uh, you didn't have pancakes to sop it up. Just no. liver, and, liver and onions after all that meat. I'm sorry. I don't think that's going to do much sopping. Uh, I, I know, but I have this. Uh, my goal is to actually get gout one of these days, so so I'm working on it. Um, how's that going? <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, I, I, I kind of have these hints of my ankle uh, hurting a little bit, so I might be on my way. Um, all right. <laughs> Well, you t- I, listen, if anybody's got a, a clue on how to do that, I'm on my way, but let's not talk about that. Yeah. So, um, so last night was a big party. Where did you, um, where did you grow up? Where did you, ha- where did you get your partying um, experience well, when you were younger? Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I actually was born in California, mm-hmm. uh, Fairfield, California. Uh, when I was young, we left there. Uh, and then I really uh, grew up in Longview, Washington, so about 45 minutes north of here. Small logging town, mm-hmm. if you don't know. Uh, not, uh, you know, not the most cultural uh, place on the planet. Um, and then from there, when, we, uh, when I was about 13, my mom and I moved to Olympia, Washington. So this was from like 83. I was in Olympia from 83 to say 97. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of where uh, I got my uh, ability to uh, have a good time. In Olympia. So was Seattle an influence on you at all in Olympia? I don't... Well, in Olympia, here's what we had. So in, during that period of time, we had, for us, it was, uh, you know, so we had Evergreen State College there. 
uh, and also you have the Capitol, of course. But you also had all these bands coming out of like, out of there and coming through there. So you, we had, you know, our shows would be like, we're, what are we going to do this, week, this weekend? Let's go see a show. Nirvana's playing in a basement. It's that sort of thing. You know? Oh, that's cool. So it's to like, have that uh, memory. Yeah, so it's like, you know, Nirvana, Fits of Depression, you know, Mudhoney or Melvin's or, you know, Carp or like just these incredible bands that were coming out of there at, at that period of time. So that's really what we did is we just kind of, we all played in bands. We, you know, went to see bands. Uh, at the time, I was cooking in a little restaurant in a Greasy Spoon and, you know, just really no direction. <laughs> well, a lot of people, that it's okay to have no direction then. It's actually okay to have no direction a little later, depending on how you look at things, I suppose. Um, so from there, you went into a number of uh, different businesses that had nothing to do with food. Yeah, no, from there, I, uh, I, I came to this point where I just kind of outgrew Olympia and it was time to move on. And so I packed up, literally packed up a backpack and uh, hopped in my silver Honda Civic drove up to Seattle to see some friends and they were like, we have a basement room for rent. It's, uh, and Nirvana's not there. No, no, <laughs> no. And they're not there. They're, they're on tour. They're making it big at the time. Uh, so I, I rented this basement room in the, uh, in the CD, um, for $80 a month and I needed a job. I was offered a cook position at a restaurant and then I was offered this other position at this weird online retailer that sold books. Oh, never yeah. heard of that. Yeah, I don't know who they could be. Imagine, so it's a, it's it's obvious why you're still not in that industry. It didn't grow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of stumbled around the dot the dot com stuff for uh, you know a long time, and then it tanked, of course, and and uh, once again <laughs> I was cast adrift. I've never know what I've wanted to do, and and um, and then I just kind of somehow got a job at the Art Institute of Seattle mm -hmm. as a career advisor, which is really all my friends that's, thought was hysterical. Yeah, that's hysterical. That's yeah. like the guidance counselors in high school actually guiding people. Right, dude. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, and then I took the same job in San Francisco and so uh, moved down there and uh, decided I did not like the Bay Area. And, uh, you know, a lot of my friends have kind of migrated to Portland and my wife and I wanted to buy a house and we were not doing it in the Bay Area. And we came up here and... You know, that's the way done. so many people got here. Yeah. It's really interesting. Just the economics is what helped bring so many cool people to Portland. Yeah, yeah. And uh, by virtue of the economics, you have, you know, because it is so cheap, it does attract a lot of creative people, a lot of people doing really great things because you're able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and yeah, so we were those people that kind of washed up here. But then again, I've always loved Portland. So, and it's kind of, you know, I grew up not far from here. So for me... It's uh, it was second nature, you know. So from Longview, did you take? Did you end up in Portland more than Seattle? Growing up in Longview, was it a something? Was Portland something you were pretty aware of? Yeah, yeah. So as a kid, like the thing when you're growing up in Longview, at least with my mom, is that uh, we would come down here to go shopping. That's something she enjoyed doing. I did not, uh, you know. But we spent a lot of time down here because it's 45 minutes as right. opposed to what an hour and a half or so up to Seattle. Right. Plus. Super traffic up there. Not right. so bad to go oh, down there. Oh, it's ridiculous nowadays. Yeah, yeah it's really bad. Yep. So, um, so when did you arrive in Portland? Oh, gosh. Uh, I want to say 2006-ish. Okay. 2007, somewhere around here. And then what were you doing then? Well, I, I rolled in and um, 
I immediately got a job because I was a career advisor. I know how to get a job, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I started working at Portland Community College for some government-based grants, uh, helping people who were laid off, uh, you know, get retraining and that sort of thing. And then from there, I um, then from there I moved to Central City Concern, where I really started getting into kind of hardcore social work and found that I really loved working with that population. So, so how, I'm trying to guide to how you got to <laughs> what you're doing. You're sure. kind of right at the fork when you yeah. uh, decided that this is what you wanted to do. So when was your first exposure to bees or hives or honey or however you got there? Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, my neighbor and I were talking, and this was, I want to say, 2007. So we just kind of moved here, just got our house. Mm -hmm. And my neighbor, Seth, great guy, super cool. We were sitting there talking, and he's like, hey, man. My uncle's bringing me a beehive next week. And I'm like, dude, that's awesome. I've always wanted to keep bees. And I kind of always have. Didn't know where to start. I'm sort of a, a kind of a nature nerd, you know. Like growing up, I would just read encyclopedias and, and watch nature shows and that sort of thing. So it really appealed to me. And he looks at me and goes, really? All right, well, I'll tell my uncle to bring you one up too. And I'm like, okay, great. Went back uh, home and uh, told. I just, I just want to interrupt sure. you. I just sure. was watching Forrest Gump last night yeah. at the same moment with the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. His his uh, his mate in the army says, "Hey, I'm going to go back and do shrimp. You want to do?" And he says, "Okay." That was it. So <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Re related to that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I told my wife we were getting a beehive. She looked at me kind of funny and said, "Yeah, all right." And uh, a week later, the hive showed up, and uh, we took it in my backyard. We set it up. And pulled the entrance off because they're all sealed up because they had to travel from Central Oregon. They all just came flying out, you know, like thousands of them because they have to orient and like check out where they are. How much stuff. research had you done before they started flying out? I mean, did you know that was okay and you were going to be well survive that? Well, you know, I and have, the bees were well. I had faith. <laughs> <laughs> no, I you know I trusted uh, you know his his uncle was there, so I, I figured everything would be okay and. I'm kind of the person who is not risk adverse, so I'm like, sure, let's go for it and see what happens. I knew next to nothing aside from a few little basics. Okay. Yeah. So you, you learned quickly, I would imagine. I learned quickly. When I get into something, I, I dive into it head first. I want to know everything I can about it. So I found myself in my backyard just watching them, and, it's, and I'm reading stuff on the internet, I'm reading books, I'm... You know, just I'm, I'm work getting in the hive and working it, and uh, I was just say, at this point, did you have the idea for be local, or you weren't be local yet? You were just hives. No, I was just some guy with a beehive, right? Okay. And just got sucked into bees. And I remember sitting in the backyard watching them. And at one point, this voice in my head, and this sounds really funny, but the voice in myself very, very, very clearly said, "You need to be doing something with bees." It was clear as day. Do you remember the moment? I do absolutely. Where, describe the moment. What were you doing? Man, I was I was sitting in uh, our 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 crappy deck chairs in the backyard drinking a beer. I'm not sure what kind of beer I was uh, I was drinking. It was probably mid July. A lot of activity in the hive, and I'm just watching them, watching their behaviors, watching them fly in and out, and uh, it it really just I don't know how other to describe it than it really was just a voice that just said you are supposed to be doing something with bees. And it was clear as day. And, uh, you know, it took me a while to kind of get to the point to where that's all I do now full time. But uh, it was it was destiny. I would imagine you'd spent other moments watching the bees. That one, for whatever reason, 
There was a lightning bolt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just kind of all came together. And, you know, I, I don't do, you know, admittedly, I don't do very well working uh, for other people. Um, you know, it's just it's just not in my it's not in my genes. You know, I, I need to be, you know, kind of for, forging my own path. And mm -hmm. and uh, so something like that was immediately uh, incredible and out there and challenging and definitely impractical and something I never thought I would I would end up doing. And so where'd you go with it from there? So, so you had the, the next morning, what happened? So the next morning, um, well, the one hive oftentimes becomes two hives because they'll create another queen and they'll swarm, right? So you capture the swarm, you put it in the new, uh, another box. So that one hive became two. So then I have two in my backyard, which is fine. And then those two became three, which was a little much for my backyard. I was like, I don't know. So I had a friend down in the Brooklyn neighborhood, and I'm in Southeast Tabor, Mount Tabor, and he said, hey, well, why don't you put the hive in my backyard? And I was like, okay, that sounds cool, you know, and I'll maintain it and, and that sort of thing. So put it down there, and then around harvest time, which is around September, I harvest from my Mount Tabor hives, mm -hmm. and I harvest from the hive in Brooklyn, and lo and behold, they're completely different in color and taste. It was unbelievable, and I was just... Uh, uh, boggled i was how, how do how, why is that you know and i sat and i thought and i ruminated on it for a while and then it just and then i was like oh yeah because they only fly within a one or two mile radius right and so if the forage is different within that one or two mile radius the honey's going to be completely different um and that was really the genesis of be local that is very cool and so you hadn't it's interesting that all the time you spent with bees and realizing how they pollinate that hadn't occurred to you no, that, I, I mean it wouldn't occur to me i'm not i'm not saying yeah it's, yeah no it's 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 so simple and so elegant and just and it just it, it's just the way they operate you know so uh no it had not occurred to me at all until that time and even when it did i was like maybe i'm just making this up in my head but you know you can go buy you know different flavored honey so i would assume that's based on you know there are blackberries nearby yeah. or and so that's been going on for a while, but th that's almost like farming, uh, right. farming it, like deciding this is the, but you just fell upon it as a very Portland organic thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's it, the, the humor is not lost on me. Believe me. It's very, I hate to say it, but Portlandia, you know, um, it's extremely Portlandia. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't get, and I wanted to ask, do you know any other, any people who've either picked up on what you've done or just happened to come across the same conclusions in other cities that are doing the same type thing? Absolutely. So um, there are, it's actually a big movement. It's kind of crazy. So I did my thing. Um, and then as I did mine, and I, I started seeing other people um, across uh, the United States and across the world kind of cluing into this urban beekeeping thing and, and kind of reclaiming uh, urban landscapes for food production, right? So there is uh, Jana Kinsman in Chicago, and she does something called Bike -a Bee, and she's amazing. So she does kind of what I do. But she services on her on her bike. There is Hillary uh, in San Diego, and she's girl next door, honey. So she does urban beekeeping in San Diego, and she does beekeeping classes and removals and that sort of thing. There is um, there is uh, Jacques in uh, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, no, Brisbane, Australia, and he does rooftop hives in downtown area there. And there's in Melbourne, there's a city sponsored rooftop beekeeping program. So these are just a few of the people that are doing, oh, my buddy uh, Rob Keller in uh, Napa Valley, Napa Valley Bee Company. So there's all these incredible people 
you know, on the forefront of new beekeeping. That's what we are. We're kind of like the pioneers of this new beekeeping. We're getting away from this old sort of commercial, really intensive, uh, you know, system that's really hard on the bees, which is why we see colony collapse disorder. And is that what's going on? I want to get there eventually. But, you know, two, I think two or three years ago, I don't know because I'm not in the industry, so I wouldn't have paid, in the bee industry, I wouldn't have paid that much attention to it. But it's all I read. And it was scary because they were saying without the bees, Mm -hmm. what's going to happen with our food? What's your state of the bee and state of food affairs? Well, here's where I'm going to get on on my soapbox a little bit with this. So. We have, so colony collapse disorder is very specific to a sort of a specific environment, and that environment is the commercial beekeeping environment and big agriculture. So what that means is that when you take bees out of that environment, uh, you don't see colony collapse disorder. So my hives here in Portland, we don't get it. And the reason for that is because we're not moving them around. We're not, I'm not pumping them full of chemicals, so I'm not using chemicals to treat them for you know, parasites and that sort of thing. Um, I'm not spraying fungicides, herbicides, and pesticides around. Um, I'm not, um, uh, they're getting a wide range of forage. So in a commercial environment, what happens is they're just plopped in the middle of, say, and I'll just use almond fields as an example because it's the easiest. So they're plopped, they're moved from all over the United States. One of the largest biomass migrations on the planet is the actual, is beekeepers moving their bees to the Central Valley. These bees just go out in these almond fields, and that's all they eat. That's the only protein file or profile or nectar profile that they're going to get, right? So their nutrition is very poor. Plus, they've been, they're stressed out from the move. They've been exposed to all these chemicals. Um, and it's like, so you, you have to look at it in terms of really intensive or really bad, like chicken farming or pig farming. It's the same thing. So Which Food Incorporated brought to the forefront, so yeah. we all learned about that. Yeah, absolutely. So... What happens, it's very basic. You treat an organism poorly and it's going, to not, it's going to not do well. It's going to die. You treat it well and it thrives. So what we're doing in these people that we've mentioned is that we're showing that there's another way to do it. Um, so that's kind of one of the goals. So I find that fascinating because I remember part of every one of those articles that I read a few years ago was it's such a mystery. Mm-mm. So you're saying it really isn't a mystery. Yep. It's just something basically that is very simple, that mm-hmm. it's commercialized mm-hmm. Monsanto crap. A- absolutely. Yeah. And uh, that's what's going on. Yeah. And so as we, if there are ways to get away from it, just as we hope there are ways to save the, the whole environment. Right, right. We find those, but uh, this is a, a microcosm of that. Yeah, so it, it is, you know, it, it is Fairly simple. I mean, it's a complex issue because we have to. So, you know, it's a it's a system that we've set up to feed ourselves, you know, and it's a big system. And I don't really blame the I don't blame the commercial beekeepers and I don't blame the, the you know, the, the, you know, well, big ag a little bit. But but we have to generate food. Right. And so um, and so the bees become a necessary part of that. Now, this whole thing with like, oh, all the bees are dying and we're freak out. We're not going to have food. They're dying within a specific environment. When mm-hmm. we move them out of that environment, they're fine. So we're not, am I afraid that we're going to lose all the bees and we're going to lose a third of our food supply? Probably not, because you also have to keep in mind there's a, a ton of other pollinators, native pollinators, bumblebees, mason orchard bees, bats, moss, flies, beetles, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that kind of take up that ecological role. Um, needless to say, this problem with the bees 
brings up a really important issue, and that's we are treating our environment very poorly. Mm-hmm. I was just about to say, you gave us some good news, and then, whoops, sorry, it can't be too good at any one point. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, so getting back to neighborhoods, you've you've talking about rooftops. Yeah, you've got them on some pretty large rooftops. You've got you've got uh, on uh, you got some chefs. We do on top of some commercial buildings. Yes. Talk about that a yeah. little bit. No, this is great. This is something that I really love doing. I'm super excited. The collaborations that I get to do and the people I get to work with is just it, it blows my mind like constantly. And know? this isn't something you foresaw when you started, when you realized, well, we've got different neighborhoods and different flavor profiles here. Yeah. No, I, I really didn't. It's uh, I got this the way it started uh, is I got this uh, random email from this guy, this chef guy in town. I don't know, Vitaly Paley, some dude. Oh, yeah. You I've know. heard of him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know this guy. Uh, so I, I, I texted my friend uh, who's who was a little more in the know, you know, and uh, I was like, who's this Vitaly Paley guy? And he's like, dude, just go meet him and work with him. And he's just kind of like, you idiot. Come on, I think that's amusing that you could be in Portland that long. So that shows you you weren't even in the food no. thing at all. Because if you don't know who Vitaly Paley is, you're right. completely not in the food. Right. I mean, you don't have to be in the food scene to know who he is. So right, it's right. really interesting. So a guy who's in the center of it now, yeah, yeah. really, you're in the center yeah, of it. Yeah. That's how it came about. Yeah, I had no idea. And so he says, you know, he's, so I talked to him. And he's like, come down with, uh, I want to sample some of your honey. And this is at Paley's place. He was in the process of starting Imperial. So I come down with four varieties of our neighborhood varieties and we do a tasting and, uh, you know, he's, his eyes start lighting up as we going through the honey and I'm just like, you know, and I'm real nervous. It's him and Benny Bentinger there. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh, like, yes, chef, no chef. Like, how do you, you know, cause I, now I, did, I had done my research by then. I was like, right. oh, oh, shit, you know, and, uh, Probably you would have been better off not doing it. Right. Stuff. Totally. Yeah. And, uh, but he loved it. He absolutely loved it. And he immediately, you know, asked for a gallon of my honey for his pastry chef. And then uh, I got home and he sent me up this, sent me this follow up email. And he said, I have never tasted honey like that. I had never thought it could be that different. You just blew my mind. And I was stunned. I mean, coming from, you know, no, it's awesome. Vito, that's, I mean, I'm like, Mm -hmm. I guess I'm onto something, you know? Mm And uh, from there, we started talking about maybe placing hives on top of Hotel Lucia, where he's opening mm-hmm. Imperial, right? And uh, op- the opening of Imperial was a long process, you know. I mean, you know, those restaurants are, are no joke, you know. And uh, In conjunction with a hotel. It's uh, yeah. not an easy thing. Yeah, in conjunction. It's very expensive, <laughs> and it's, you know. And he was opening Penny Diner at the same time. Right. You know, Two so, of them. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it took about a year or so. Um, for us to actually do it, or maybe two years, actually. I don't know, somewhere around there. Anyways, so what happened is this last year, uh, we went ahead and pulled the trigger on it. And uh, once we did uh, Hotel Lucia, the other provenance hotels here were like, can we do them on top of ours? So I'm like, sure, let's do it. So we got Sentinel and Deluxe. And then we also have them on top of the Nines as well. Right, I saw that. Which is fantastic. So are the... Can can the honey from those different hotels? They're not far from each other, so no. you talk about a mile radius. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are they are they different? Is the nines different than the the uh, than the deluxe? Yeah, the deluxe is really interesting in that um, because it's 
closer to Washington Park and the Rose Gardens, mm-hmm. there's a kind of rose watery taste to the honey there. Oh, cool. Which is really cool. Um, the the uh, the nines and the and Hotel Lucia are are similar, they're but close. they're but they're close. They're similar, but they're they're always slightly different. So, um, and then Sentinel, I have to actually go up and harvest. I have to actually harvest off a deluxe as well. That's got the, that's got the food cart flavor. Yes, you know, the, the food cart. Some cigarette butts <laughs> and <laughs> some old, you know, I don't know, some old Thai food and and stuff. Uh, so so yeah, they will be slightly different and. And by virtue of doing this, yes, I get to work with these amazing chefs in town, amazing bartenders. It's just been extraordinary. And so um, where do you see that going? Do you see it going to other restaurants, just not on top of high towers, just here, here, and here? You can have, you know, flavors of the month everywhere. Yeah, I mean, that's the idea. We want to be careful because we have to make sure it's the right fit. And there's all there's also certain city codes that thankfully we've, we just uh, did a meeting at the mayor's office and we had some, cause they were being interpreted in a sort of odd way by Multnomah County. So we've gotten that sort of straightened out, which will make it easier, but you know, you have to be responsible about it. It's not, you can't just throw hives up and just let them go. But, but yeah, I mean, where we're going with it, I'd like to see a few more. I'd like to continue working with chefs. I'd like to see, you know, like New York just did a honey week, man. I'd love to do something, an event like that where we have, you know, a chef throwdown, chef battle, chef honey battle. Oh, that's going to happen. <laughs> you know it. And that might be a Portland Food Adventures event, too, <laughs> as a matter of fact. There you go. Uh, so um, you bring up a good point. You're obviously dealing with city codes and, and administrators and bureaucrats who don't understand bees and who probably think, oh, my God, we're going to have liability problems. Yes, here. yes. So how did, how did that go and how did you get around that? And would you advise other or the things you could advise others who want to maybe do the same thing? Yeah. What's interesting about this is after after my meeting with the mayor's office, I and I, you know, I haven't really talked about it a lot because, you know, you want to it's politics. So you you don't you know, it's better to have uh, someone on your side than upset them and, you know, go go at each other. So um, I started I actually got some uh, emails from somebody in. I think Michigan, who's kind of running up against the thing, asking my advice, um, and uh, a a few others as well. So what happened is the city uh, created this Title 13 code, it's called, and uh, and basically tasked Multnomah County with enforcing it. Well, Multnomah County changed some of the language in the code, which is was not the intent of the code, and and made it unlike any other city code, right? So our our beef was with this really critical change of words from notification of all your neighbors within 150 feet of your property line to permission. So the county, oh, yeah, the county said permission. So that's virtually impossible. And how do you do that in a downtown area? Yeah, that's it's ridiculous. Uh, and okay, so to talk about how that yeah. worked and how you got around that. Yeah. So having worked for Multnomah County at one time right. in a past life, I always knew there was something called a variance. So. Uh, I went, I immediately pulled up the code myself and really started pouring through it. And I, actually there was a group of us doing it, um, which was nice. And, and someone from the office of sustainability, who's also a beekeeper, which he did some fantastic work with us and really helped push some of this through. So, uh, we, I, uh, contacted vector control, who are the people who are tasked with enforcing this title 13 code and the ones who changed the language. And I said, Hey, look, this is what we're doing, you know, and this is for the hotels uh, can we get a variance, you know, because we just want to get them up there. And, uh, you know, 
he was like, yeah, we like what you're doing. Sure. But here's the stipulations. You have to do this, 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 and this. And the stuff that they were stipulating had no basis in B behavior or or reality (laughs) or the fact that they were on top of a 10 story building, you know, but I mean, we went ahead and did it anyway. So we're cleared, but, but, um, but it was, it was, it's, it was kind of ridiculous. And then the other thing that was, uh, is, was unfair about this whole variance thing is, is other people were not granted variances, but we were, I mean, I know why we were, cause we're hope, you know, you know, we're high profile, right? Mm-hmm. But your average Joe. But you weren't ho- high profile to start. You had to, you weren't, you were not high profile when you first wanted to go on, on no. top of the Lucia. No, no, but it became, there was so much PR behind it mm-hmm. that it actually, it was a huge, it was a huge thing. Yeah. Right. So, um, but the, the thing was, is they were enforcing the code in a way that was not equitable across the board and you just can't do that. So, which you know, actually was probably pretty serendipitous. Yeah, that's the, the that's the upside to having so many problems is you got so much PR out of it. Yeah, if you if it had been a swan song, yeah, probably wouldn't you wouldn't have been a, any headlines. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it was it was great, and um, so yeah, so consequently we have brought it to the attention of of Multnomah County through the city, and and so some of that is changing, and and we're we're doing some good things. It'll take it'll take a little bit, but you know it's it's. It's political. So, so what does B local look like now? I met Ryan last night, yep. or yesterday, yep. and uh, how many people are involved? What did it take to get it to that really nice logo in a nice package? <laughs> what, 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 tell us a little bit about that process, because that that would be daunting, I would think. And and looking back, if you knew what you knew when you started, you might have said, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, no, uh, I would have the rational side of my mind. No way. It's yeah. ridiculous. No, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to, you're leaving a very, you know, well-paid job to go, what, be a, put bees in people's yards? What is this? So yeah, be local and the, uh, and the actual packaging, uh, thankfully was the brainchild of someone here called Jeremy Ng and he runs a design company called Ideaville. And, uh, it was just kind of odd how I met him. Um, and he caught wind of what I was doing it was in just, you know, wanted to meet with me and I met with him and talked to him a bunch and he said, Hey, uh, I think your idea is golden. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, no. Pun intended. Yeah. He's like, it's, it's brilliant. You know? And I'm like, what? And he's, he goes, well, I tell you what, will you let me do your packaging and let me do your branding? And I'm like, you know, I'm pretty poor, you know, I don't know. And he's like, no, I'll do it for free. It's so Portland. It's crazy. We're all relying on that now. Mm-hmm, Can mm-hmm. I find someone to do it for free? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so he, you know, and he's, he used to work for Thomas Kemper and Kettle Chips, you know, I mean, he's got quite a resume, you know, I mean, he's no joke. And he spent months on this and, um, you know, and unveiled it to me. And of course it was just utter genius. He mm-hmm. came up with the name. I mean, I, I basically I, I owe, came up with the name. Yeah, too. I, I owe it to him. I mean, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, he's he's incredible. What's so his I, website so we can all look? I'd yeah, like yeah. Do yeah. you know it offhand? Yeah, uh, Ideaville. So, uh, Ide- yeah, Ideaville. I d e a v i l l e dot com. Oh, cool. And he's Gotta done. He's, he's branded a bunch of really cool stuff around here. He's amazing. So, uh, he really without him, be local obviously wouldn't exist. I mean, he's the one that had faith in me, and he's the one that created our beautiful packaging. Um, to get it to this point, it's been a lot of struggle. It's not easy. Um, there's been times when I've definitely thought about folding it up and, uh, you know, I've definitely got some more gray hairs because of it. And, uh, you know, but I think we're getting to a point to where we're kind of getting our feet underneath us and, uh, we have some big things in the future and, 
you know, a part of that growth too was, was having, you know, Ryan come on who randomly emailed me and just kept pestering me until, you know, I was like, okay, uh, you want to do some work for me? Show up at my house at four in the morning. If you're 15 minutes late, I'm gone. Cause we had, I had to pick up some hives mm-hmm. and this dude showed up on time ahead of time and without a complaint. And, and he had no beekeeping background. Nope. He just was fascinated by what he saw. Yep. And he, uh, as he told it yesterday, he just kept hounding you and hounding yep. you. So yeah, yeah. Um, that's the way to do it. And so how long has he been with you now? Uh, about a year now. Yeah. And he's, I mean, I couldn't do without him. Dude's golden. I mean, he's, he's great. Um, he steps in when I need him to never, never a complaint. And how much time are you spending now on with the bees and how much time are you spending with, with the packaging and events (laughs) like you were yesterday? I mean, it's an event rich society we have here. You have to do that to do your marketing. It it is. And this is event season for us and I've become, I've learned my lesson. So I, I used to say yes to everything. I don't do that anymore. So I pick certain events, um, and, and then I go ahead and go for it. Uh, you know, I'm working 40, 50 hours a week, sometimes 60, um, you know, depending on the time of year. Um, thankfully, you know, Ryan's here, so he helps me out a lot with everything. You know, we do everything. So, you know, we're doing the packaging, we're doing the beekeeping, we're doing the delivery. We are, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I do the media and the, and, and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just my life. I, I don't know. Are you identifying different neighborhoods and different areas you want to go? You must have people come to you all the time yes. and say, I would love it if you would do it in our neighborhood. Yes, yes. We, we get that. I get that a lot. And um, there are certain neighborhoods that I want, I, I, you know, I would like to be in. Um, but right now we have a list that is much longer than we have hives. So I'm just turning people down. Um, I would imagine know. it's almost a status symbol. I can imagine some of the 1% saying, I'd like to have my own personal Honey, sure. from my place. Yeah, you can hire me to do that. Okay, I'll do that you for go. you. I just wanted to put that out so, there hey, for you. So, hey, one percenters. Exactly. I'm more than happy to set you up. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, it's um, so we get a lot of that. We're really just, uh, but one of the things that we have to be conscious of, too, is every year you lose hives, so you kind of have to rebuild a lot. We had a really bad winter. We lost a lot of hives, so this year was kind of rebuilding. So we hope to, um, you know, ex- keep expanding further into next year. And what's your criteria for identifying new areas? Well, it's kind of, you know, it's, is it a good fit with the people? Is it, you know, how far it is away from my house? <laughs> you know, um, but you have, you, you, I tasted one from uh, Newport yesterday, so yes. that's pretty far away from your house. It, it is. We have a hive down at Ben Jacobson's property at his, uh, Neatart's saltwater. Oh, Proce- Neatart's. Yeah. Okay. Saltwater processing facility. Yeah. So, which is great. And then uh, the other thing that we do... You salt and honey, there's an idea. Uh, oh, yeah. Never uh, heard of that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, we got we got some things in the works. Yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> well, I've been, in the last two years, I've probably tasted more combinations of salt and honey than I have in my entire lifetime. Yeah, yeah. It'll keep on coming. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah well, it's delicious, too. Yeah. So, uh, so one of the other things that we do is... If I find interesting honey out there that I haven't necessarily produced, but it falls within our, my criteria, which is a small non-commercial beekeeper who's not flooding their bees full of, you know, crap and chemicals and that sort of thing, um, I will I will buy bulk from them um, because I want my customers to be able to taste this incredible stuff because I get really excited by it. Like if I have like, you know, like the buckwheat, I don't know if you tasted that. But I that, did. That's, it's that's unlike that, anything I've ever tasted. Yeah, it's, it's obscene. It's just beautiful stuff. Not for everybody. I say it tastes like barnyard and horse breath. Right. You, well, you told me that yesterday, but yeah. I'll tell you what, just as a, 
as a matter of the fact, you know, that, that it's coming from nature and yeah. it is exactly as it was intended. Yeah. It doesn't taste like barnyard. It's yeah. just really special. Yeah, it's amazing. I don't know if that's what I'd want on my buttered <laughs> toast every morning. Yeah. But to taste it yeah. and just to know it is fantastic. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's like, to me, it's like a fine wine. Not only that, but I've got stuff uh, from Ghana and Eritrea, which is unbelievable. Uh, like the stuff from Ghana is from shea, baobab, and, and neem trees. And it's like thick, rich, caramely, and slightly resinous. Then the stuff, and it's really dark. And then the stuff from Eritrea is almost just white. And it's so beautiful. And this is from my, my friend Sam. comes from his, I think his aunt's backyard in Eritrea. And it is just, it's, you taste it, and it's just, it's so clear and fresh. And you get this sort of green, legumey sort of taste to it. It's, it's uncanny. It's just amazing stuff. So the idea is we want, I want to bring these sorts of things to people are you so you're in personally you're in kind of a a club so you guys yeah. are exchanging your honeys i would imagine yes and then from a, in a more global standpoint yeah marketing wise you've got something to work with there a- exactly and a part of the kind of our next steps and something that i'm planning for i don't know if this happened next year or the year after this but really what i'd like to do is work with these small beekeepers say in ghana or eritrea who are producing these incredible honeys but don't necessarily have a market for it and so set up basically what would be a relationship honey model taking, basically we would just take the fair trade coffee or relationship coffee model and do that for honey. Mm-hmm. And that way we can do responsible economic development and, and I can bring my customers fabulous honey. That is unbelievable. That's really exciting. You have to be excited about that because you have two levels of excitement. What's going on here in Portland, mm-hmm. but then there's this whole other world yep. that you just mentioned yeah. and you can bring it to us. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. It's never ending. It's very cool. So, who are the who are the chefs besides Vitaly that you're working with? Gregory, I would imagine at uh, at departure up there. Yeah, I work farmer. Yeah, uh, uh, Gregory will get a little bit of it, and I work. uh, In fact, we're doing uh, uh, Chris Starkus is the is one of the chefs at the uh, Urban Farmer, and we're uh, doing uh, dinner under the antlers, uh, his dinner series, which is fantastic, and you should all go to it. But we're going to do a honey based one. It's actually going to be me and Stacy Givens from. Side Yard Farm. And uh, we're both, consequently, we're both uh, recipients of the Local Hero Award for, I was 2013, she's 2014. Oh, she's congratulations. Fantastic. But that's a great pop-up dinner um, that he does. Uh, so, and Jen Lewis does amazing things. She's a big fan of the buckwheat. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Doug Adams, who works under Vitaly, is doing amazing things. Uh, Patrick McKee. Doug's got a, gotten a higher profile quickly. Yes. Oh, at he's, Imp- he's, at Imperial. he's set to explode. Yeah. He's well, got some th- stuff coming up. Yeah. It's very cool to see yeah. uh, to see how quickly that happened. Yeah. So who else? I'm sorry. There's Benny, who's just started at Laurelhurst. Laurel yeah. Um, gosh. Um, trying to think here. There's 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 a few of them around. Yeah. Are there any that you have in mind? Like, do you have some favorite places, favorite chefs that you would like to see using your product? I want to see everybody use my well, product. Well, that's true, <laughs> but I guess I was kind of, we generally like to ask people. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'd like to get it in the hands of, uh, you know, Gabriel Rucker and see what he can do with it. Or, um, gosh, what's your name? She owns, uh, she does Beast. Oh, Naomi, probably. Naomi, yeah. I'd like to get it in there, you know, someone like that's hands. Um, there's just so many good chefs who are doing so many amazing things. I mean, you know, Jamie Curl of Quinn does amazing things with my honey. You know, I mean, it's just extraordinary. What's what's fascinating to me is like I'm such a purist, so 
I, I just look at honey as honey, and then you give it into these hands of these amazing chefs here, and they transform it into something you could never imagine. It's unbelievable. I, I find, you know, this. I think this might be my favorite interview yet because I learn more, and to me, on so many levels, you're. It just gets more exciting because yeah. you, you know. So you said I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'd like to have a hive, and that was that, and yeah. then you just. It just keeps growing and growing and growing, and it's a it's a fascinating story, and it's still going. I mean, we're, I want to have you back, and I hope we're still doing this podcast in I hope so a year too. or two. Um, but I uh, I find it I really find it fascinating, just so because we need to. Yes, give us all your. Twitter and oh, Instagram yes. handles and all. And where people find you? They'll find me. Well, you can fi- find us at BeLocal.com. You can also find us on Instagram at BeLocal. Uh, Twitter is at BeLocalHoney. And then I believe Facebook is slash BeLocalHoney as well. Um, I, you know, I tend to be fairly prolific on social media. It's really, you know, I kind of poo-pooed it years ago, but I've come to really embrace it. It's a really important tool. Uh, so... I really enjoy Instagram, so if you want to follow my adventures, like at Wild a Game or whatever I'm doing, uh, you know, check it out for sure. There's fun stuff that happens. So, what is some of the, what if you from this? Mm-hmm. What has happened in your life that you find most exciting? So, you're up at Wild About Game yesterday. Mm-hmm. Probably an experience you wouldn't have even thought of in no. 2005. No, not at all. I mean, it the whole ride's been ex- exciting. What's to me uh, is just seeing is being surrounded by these people who are providing this amazing amount of support and are, are excited for me that, that I'm doing this. It's on a personal level. It's like, it's really touching. I mean, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty intense for me. Um, you know, being, you know, uh, you know, Jeff, uh, you know, who has Nikki, Nikki farms gave us a, a shout out yesterday, you know, and when he was giving the awards, I mean, that, that means a lot, you know, or, you know, having the respect of these chefs and, it's just it it just blows my mind and and you know I get a little weepy actually thinking about it. You must you have know. gotten weepy the first time you had a a chef or probably Vitali prepare something with your honey. You mentioned that before. He do built, you have a, do you have a dish that you remember that you thought holy shit? He this. built a dish specifically around my honey in, at Imperial. A dish. What was that? Do you? It's the fried rabbit and it's unbelievable. And what what was so great about it is that. You get the honey on the side because he knew he he wants that pure taste of the honey. You know he didn't want to cook it. He wants that floralness and that sweetness. So you just pour it over, and so it stands out on its own. And he just nailed it. And that uh, that to me was is just it was shocking. Like this dude, this James Beard award winning chef, winner of Iron Chef America, just yes. built a, a dish around my honey. That's great. I had a. Um I got to go try that. And I'll tell you, I tried the other night. I was at Mediterranean Exploration Company. I mm-hmm. don't know if John Gorham is, and, and Casey and all those guys are using your product, but they have a fried chicken there. Yeah. That it's not doused in honey, yeah. but it's got a little teeny bit of hint yeah. of honey yeah. with a little spice. Nice. And it is fantastic. So discuss it with him. Yeah, but, I'll have to give him a call, huh? Yeah, well, <laughs> and that was, to me, you know, I love fried chicken, and to yeah. me that was the, um, that's what, I thought, and I and I tweeted it at the moment. Yeah. This fried chicken is now in the fried chicken conversation. It was tender and wonderful, but it was that little bit of honey because yeah. I go back to my old Kentucky fried chicken days, dipping in it in honey and yeah, yeah, or the high, which is actually high fructose corn syrup. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, we won't be doing that anymore, yeah. and we don't have to. We have be That's local, right. and everybody should have some be local in their uh, in their pantry at home. Uh, yeah, you should. 
<laughs> and they will. Yep. Thanks so much, Damien. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, it's been fun. We'll see you around. Excellent. Buzzing around. Yeah, that's right.